This place shook. I thought it was going to collapse. Pat was on the floor and I couldn't get out of the kitchenette because she was right, right in the doorway. Finally, I managed to bring her round and uh, we got out. The Stara's experience may sound dramatic, but it illustrates the problems facing some residents. The RAF admits that the training exercises can cause nuisance, but refused to be interviewed. However, the US Air Force, which flies around 20,000 sorties across the country, says the flights are necessary. Where you'll have some people performing air-to-air, -air, some people performing air-to-ground missions, and you'll learn to coordinate together and accomplish a mission task. Today we're enforcing no-fly zones over Bosnia and Iraq. Today we're uh, ensuring the safe passage of humanitarian flights into places like Yugoslavia and Rwanda and Somalia. Uh, today we're doing a lot of things of that nature. It gives you proficiency in order to know the area that you're flying in. It gives you proficiency to be able to handle your aircraft in a combat environment should you have to deploy to that environment. As vital as these operations may be, people like Pat and Les would only receive voluntary help from the Ministry of Defence for actual damage to property. But for the emotional and physical distress, the government refuses to pay. Well, we're looking here over the Vale of Evesham towards the Cotswolds, uh, the whole Severn Valley laid out below us. We're about 500 feet high, which is well above the height at which the low-flying aircraft normally proceed. And on a day when they were flying, you'd see them literally crawling about the landscape like bugs down there. You'd be looking down on them. And some of them are little jet fighters, like, uh, like a rep's car, you know, 500 miles an hour, down the road. And some of them are big freighters, the size of two or three trucks. Chris Mattingly is an architect who lives in Hereford. He claims that every time a military plane flies across his home, debilitating memories of the Second World War flood back. His work is affected and his peace shattered. 60 miles away in Banbury, Phil Page is an environmental health officer. In this sort of area, we're looking at about 40 DBA. That's, that would be an average environment uh, for this sort of village location. So when it comes to the Harrier jump jets or the military low flying, what sort of levels do they give you on your meter? We could expect to have well over 90, perhaps 100 uh, decibels. I mean, the concerns of the public are, are obviously very real uh, in terms of um, accidents. We're aware of aircraft that have crashed um, during low-flying routines. We know of incidents where animals have been uh, quite severely frightened, and that is, is, is quite critical, where we have perhaps riding schools um, further to the south of here. There are lots of racing stables, and obviously where people are undertaking activities with those animals, it can make it extremely dangerous. Now, when the phone goes and somebody says, I can't take this anymore, I want you to do something, yeah. what, what do you actually feel? What goes through your mind? How do you tell them that you're powerless? It's very difficult. That's, that's one where we have to negotiate with the people to say that what we will do is we will act on their behalf to take their case up with the powers that be. And that would mean that we would talk directly to the people within the Ministry of Defence. Air Chief Marshal Sir Patrick Hine is the man who led the RAF during the Gulf War. I recognise, of course, that uh, there is quite a bit of noise disturbance which the public have to put up with. But it is very important for our aircrew to maintain their flying skills. The public recognises the importance of the RAF whenever we find ourselves in a crisis situation. They're ready to go at short notice. They do us proud in such conflicts of the Gulf. Now, one cannot do that, I'm afraid, with the best will in the world, by trying to pick up skills in a matter of hours or days or even weeks. They have to be acquired over a lengthy period of time safely and then maintained. 
I'm no pacifist. I know they've got to do these things, mm -hmm. but uh, I think there's plenty of open ground to do it in and not right over the actual villages. Because would they dare do it over a London street when it's heavy with traffic? They also believe that the government should offer compensation for those regularly affected. Here in Garsford, just outside Malvern, councillor Anne Storey says the state is in effect restricting the peaceful use of her own garden. And that's no different to flattening it with a motorway, for which she would automatically receive compensation. I know they say it's for defence, but I actually see it as war. I mean, it's like war in my garden. The stories claim to have suffered for years. Anne's children and grandchildren have all been frightened by the noise and all have had countless weekends ruined. I think it's very important to adopt a defence training system that is sensitive to the people who live in the area where such training goes on. I think it's very important that any form of military um, training is thought about in a way that is good for the British public. Those wanting to change the law and government attitudes have an uphill struggle ahead. Figures showing the true levels of disturbance are distorted. As local authorities are powerless to act, many don't even bother to record the complaints. If incidents are noted, they would automatically count as failures and so affect the council's success rates in government achievement targets. But in Germany, it's a different matter. Just outside Cologne, the Enns family breed horses. They took the government to court and won £75,000 worth of compensation. English-speaking Sabrina explains more about her father's landmark victory. He decided enough is enough and so he went to court. And he wanted to get money to move away from here for a new home and all the stuff. But actually it's impossible for us to move far away because of all the farm and all of the land. So then he went to court again to get um, the money for compensation. Wilfred Zyberg is one of Germany's leading lawyers and an expert in noise pollution. He defended the Bonn government against the Enns family. For him, the question of compensation is simple. The court found that the air noise was intolerable and since it couldn't be stopped, being something done by the state, the state has to pay compensation. And since it's not only this one case, there are thousands of such similar cases, it will be millions, even hundreds of millions of compensation which the state will have to pay eventually. But in Britain it would be a far cry. The courts wouldn't necessarily have the same powers to inflict the compensation on the government. Why do they do it here? Why are they allowed to do it here? What's the legal precedent? Being or suffering under this kind of air noise amounts to a kind of expropriation of the real estate. It's not really expropriation, but it's near to that. We can't, you can't make use of your house as you were used to. And expropriation by the state means the state has to compensate for that. And if it's hey, this kind of expropriation, he has to pay for that. The Ullersbergers are yet another family who've convinced the German courts to find in their favour. They said that we have the right to get a compensation because the noise emission in average exceeded 75 decibels per day or week. So what would you say to people in Britain who aren't as fortunate as you, who can't take the same kind of action? I really feel sorry for them if there is no possibility to them
to get a compensation for equivalent reduction of life quality. If Chris Mattingly lived in Germany, his weekly 100-plus decibels of aircraft noise would now result in compensation. There is a, a lesson to be learned here, and the sooner the Ministry of Defence is made liable for its mistakes, the better. Things have to change and progress and improve. I think it's very important that they do consider people, people's health. So I think it's environmentally not acceptable to have these aeroplanes flying over people. But Major Wawinski of the US Air Force believes that a change in British law would affect military capabilities. As it stands right now, the British, the American, the Canadian, the Allied Air Forces are probably the best trained in the world. Our pilots are the most ready, most able to carry out their jobs. You start sacrificing the ability to train and you're going to sacrifice their readiness. And then who and how do you pay the consequences? However, technology may soon come to the rescue with a new, sophisticated £50 million plane which is capable of jamming enemy radar and so removes the need to fly low. Paul Beaver is an analyst with Jane's Defence Weekly. I think you could make an argument to say that if you had one or two squadrons of electronic warfare aircraft that, aircraft that carry the jamming equipment on board and operate them as the Americans do, then you could find a way around it. The problem is there's a tremendous financial penalty. Uh, each one of those aircraft would cost you about £50 million. It would cost about a million pounds uh, a year to operate each of the aircraft on top of that. At the time you've trained the crews for it, it is a huge uh, financial burden on the Treasury at a time when there are defence cuts, more defence cuts coming. It may sound impractical, but the relative difference in costs between the new and existing planes is small. And the sum becomes even smaller when measured against the potential threat of widespread compensation. In Germany alone, the future bill is estimated at 2 billion Deutschmarks, a cool 1,000 million pounds. And the Germans believe that a European-wide low-flying policy is only a matter of time. A state acts, inflicts in my property, and he either stops it or he has to pay for it. I think it's quite natural.